Our scripture today is similar to the one we just heard in the Confession Absolution, but it's a calling of some different apostles. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to be called by God, what it looks to be someone who God sees as capable of fulfilling what's needed in the situation that it's needed for. And so I, I started thinking about this, and you know, I have a background in, um, in organizational behavior, leadership, supervision. That's what my degree is in, some HR stuff. Uh, and so I did a lot of this in college where you, you talk about um, when you're interviewing someone or when you're writing a resume or, or what qualifications are needed when you're writing a job description. And, and I was thinking about those things and, and how those things have even changed, but the core parts of what's needed when you're applying for a position or a job are the same, right? Like when you used to see job descriptions, it was very much straightforward, like must be able to type X number of words per minute, must have these degrees, must have this amount of experience, whatever it might be for the job, or must have met these minimum requirements. And even though some of those things have changed as far as what the requirements are, there's always a basis for what is required when you're starting a new job or a new position. And so when you think about that and you think about what kind of qualifications might you want or expect to see in people that are going to be serving God directly and leaving their mark in history, you would expect some pretty heavy-duty resumes, right? You would expect some people that really checked all the boxes of having everything just so. And yet, just as we know in real life, sometimes we find that people we don't expect can actually function really well in a job better than the people that are expected. And so, when I was thinking about that today and thinking about Jesus calling the disciples, and you think, why did he pick these people. And you have to remember that in the time of Jesus, when we're talking about the Jewish people, regardless of if they're in Rome or wherever they are, they, they had the same traditions of how you grew up. Boys would grow up learning the scriptures. And by the time they were about 12 years old, 13 years old, they would it would be determined if they had the requirements, if they met the qualifications to continue studying God's word and to go down a path of being a priest or a rabbi or something like that. So every boy would, to a point, learn the scriptures, which, of course, at that time, this is before the New Testament, so the scriptures they had were the Old Testament. And so the boys would uh, memorize the first five books of the Bible, and then if they were good enough, qualified, they would continue on and go down that train. If you weren't, then you would go work in your family trade. You would go learn from your father. You would become a fisherman, or you would become a tax collector, or you would become a 
whatever your family did, a carpenter. And so when we get to these people that Jesus calls, you think, there's no way. And I wanted to set the stage that way because I really want us to take ourselves back to this time period when Jesus is equipping and calling those people who had no idea what they were getting into and had no idea what was going to be expected of them. Because that's really where we pick up the story here. When we get into God's word, the name of the 12 apostles are these first. Simon, who's called Peter, and also Cephas. We'll get into that in a minute. And Andrew, his brother. So Simon, Peter, and Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, his brother. Now there are a lot of blanks if you're taking notes today. So, because um, we're, we're doing these names. But I want to pause for a second and look at this. When we, this is a cool thing that I didn't think about until preparing here. Every time in Scripture we get a list of the apostles, they're grouped the same way. They're grouped in groups of four. And even though within the group of four, sometimes the order of the names change, these groups of four are always presented this way. And it's interesting because when we see this, we see the order in which the proximity to Jesus and the way they did ministry is throughout the rest of the time that they operate. What I mean is these four are the closest to Jesus. John, the disciple who Jesus loved. Simon, the one who will from this point be called Cephas. Peter, the rock on which I will build the church. Okay? So there is an order here of calling in which what's expected changes depending on where they are. That's another interesting thing to think about because we don't often think about, oh, there were some disciples who were closer to Jesus. There were some disciples who of which more was expected. And so when you see these people called, you get just a little glimpse into what and who they are. And each list is a little different. We'll get into that in a second. So before we go there completely, I wanted to take a look back and see. Because at the time, the reason I gave you all that backstory is at the time, if you would have seen a rabbi with a bunch of disciples... Who would they have been? They would have been the boys, because this was male-driven. This would have been the boys who did really well, knew the scriptures the best, and have been training their whole lives, literally, to be doing this disciple thing. And so when a rabbi comes along who is an excellent teacher that people want to hear, which we know Jesus is, you would expect him to have the best of the best of the best of all the people that knew all the stuff and had all the right resume. And we, we know that's not the case. And as I started looking and thinking about that, I started looking at who God had called prior. 
I started looking at who God had used up to this point in the scriptures that they would have been reading. And I thought, I wonder if in being called to a different career path like these guys were, into being a rabbi, when they thought that was long over for them, if they thought about these things or if they just felt overwhelmed. So listen to the people that God has used up to this point. Abraham, who doubted God, lied about his wife, committed adultery. Then his son Isaac, who saw what his father had done, did the same thing with his wife Rebekah, lied to Abimelech. And then there was Jacob, who stole his birthright from his brother Esau, literally stole it, deceived his father, raised a bunch of immoral children. Then there's Joseph, who's hated by his brothers, and they want to kill him. And then Moses murdered someone, acted in pride, tried to steal God's glory from his people by taking the credit for it. And then there was Joshua, who was deceived, and instead of doing what God said, didn't destroy the Gibeonites, who were a pain to Israel for years. Then there was Gideon who had no confidence. Then there was Samson who fell and let a woman deceive him. Then there was David who didn't think he had enough when he had been given everything and was also an adulterer, a murderer, a lousy father. Then there was Solomon who had more wives than anybody in history that we know of. And then there was Ezekiel, who was brash, tough-minded, kind of an old curmudgeon. Daniel, educated in a pagan country. Hosea married a prostitute. Jonah defied him at every turn. Habakkuk questioned God's divine plan. Elijah could handle 850 false priests and prophets, but ran from Jezebel. And the list goes on. And I say all that because these are stories many of us have heard, but I don't think we think about how the regular person in the story every time is still the one who God knows is equipped and called. And so God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't say, oh, I want you to do this and then go, whoops, I didn't see that coming. And so when God calls these people that are unexpected, we know the rest of the story. So oftentimes when we see their names, we're like, yeah, go disciples, go apostles, And they did a lot of great things. But we also need to remember the humanness of them and the mistakes that they made. Philip and Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. See, you have, again, these sections of four. Philip and Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, Thomas, and Matthew. Then James, Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. And so when you see these, you see kind of the order of closeness to Jesus and the amount of information we have. And so when we look and we see these disciples and we recognize what they've done and who they are and what they're capable of or what they're not, it helps us maybe to have a little comfort in knowing that when God calls us, 
that God knows the truth about us. And maybe we're called into close proximity to what Jesus is doing for a time. And maybe we're called a little further away, like some of these guys. But in all cases, they are called, and they are equipped, and they are capable. And that's what God does for us. And so Jesus knew what he was being called to. I want to pause on this for a second and think about that. We do a good job in the Lutheran church of talking about Jesus being fully God and fully man. It's important. It's central to what scripture says. And the reason being is because Jesus wasn't half God and half man. He wasn't mostly God and some man. He was 100% a person like us. And so when he dealt with human things, he had the same feelings and the same stresses and the same emotions as we do. And we can't even begin to fathom that, but Jesus knew what he was being called to. You know, Jesus realizing what he's called to do as a human knows that as part of God's plan, he needs help. And so he chooses this team of people who he is going to go through the toughest part of his life with for the next three years. And he has the unique advantage of having an understanding because he's God of what this means. Can't think about that too long or your head starts to spin. But what you realize is, is that Jesus didn't go into this guessing or doing it half-heartedly. He went into this calling the people he knew would be the right people for the job. And so when we see these lists of these people and we hear these stories and these accounts of what happened, we can start to see a glimpse of how those things relate to us. So then the next day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. This is important. Jesus says to his disciples, follow me. That means come work with me for me, doing this mission, living as a disciple of a rabbi. And we kind of say, yeah, we know. We know. Come. We've seen the chosen. We've heard these stories. We know. But think about if someone came up to you and said, I want you to leave your job, leave your family, leave your home. Oh, by the way, the pay is horrible. In fact, we don't really have any money, but we're going to figure it out. There's going to be times we have nowhere to sleep. There's going to be times where we're abused, threatened, and there's confrontation. There's going to be people who hate us with the passion of a thousand fiery suns. And eventually, I'm going to be murdered, and you guys are all going to freak out. Come on, let's go. And so 
when you think about those things, that's what's wrapped up in this follow me. Because you, even if you don't know the outcome, you know enough to go, this is a big risk. And Jesus understood what these guys could do, even if they didn't. And so when we read about some of these guys that we don't hear a lot about in Scripture, it's important for us to look at the things that we can learn and go, maybe we can find something here for us. And so when he says, follow me, and Philip is going to, we get a little background. Philip is from Bethsaida, the same city as Andrew and Peter. Now this is important because... Now we have a connection. These guys knew each other. These are tiny towns. I mean, you knew everyone. You knew every family, at least on some level. And you knew about one another and how people grew up and things like that. And so we have a little bit here. This is the other interesting thing. Philip is the only one with a Greek name. He must have had a Jewish name because he was Jewish, and yet he had a Greek name. And this is important because we do know some things about Philip that maybe we don't realize because we see later that Philip was the entry point for some Greeks who wanted to come talk to the disciples who were Jewish, and Philip was the way in, but more on that later. So when we look at this and we see that Peter and Andrew grew up in the same place as Philip, and we know that they knew each other, we know what, Phil, or what Andrew and Peter did for a living in fishing, but we're not told what Philip does. And so Philip, we find out the day following finds Nathanael and says, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is huge. Because Philip not only is going to do what Jesus says, stop everything, follow him, and go along, he also goes to find Nathanael, also called Bartholomew, and said... We found him. He said, you know in the Bible where it says that there's going to be a Messiah? You know in Scripture that we've been learning about that a Messiah is going to come, that the law and the prophets, that everything we read is fulfilled? We found out it's true, and it's Jesus from Nazareth, Joseph's son. Now think for a second. If one of your friends comes up to you and goes, I figured out what the Bible's saying. And you need to come with me because right now, Jesus is coming. Are you going to jump in the car with that person? Or are you going to go, <laughs> hold on a second. You're going to want to make sure that what this person's saying and what they're doing and they're excited and everything is legitimate. You're going to want to make sure this isn't some fools, Aaron. But also, this is... This is just a huge thing to exclaim right off the bat. And so I can't imagine what he was thinking in the first moment. Oh, wait, yes, I can because we're told. 
Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I've mentioned this. Pastor Scott's mentioned this. Nazareth, Nazareth was a small town, backwards, middle of nowhere, etc. So when, when he says this, he's like, there's no way. There is no way that you're telling me the Messiah is coming from Nazareth. And you're telling me he's here. And I love what Philip does. And this is part of why we see why Jesus uses him. Because he's not going to sell his buddy. He's not going to sit there and try. He's just like, hey, come on. Let's check it out. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. And see if you don't see what we all see. And again, in this, we see in the calling, the equipping, and we see the people trusting in what Jesus is doing, even if they can't fully see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming and said, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So Jesus, Jesus acknowledges him. Acknowledges that he's coming. Acknowledges his faith. Acknowledges where he's coming from. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And so he sees that this man that he's coming to see already knows who he is. Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And in this, Jesus is saying, this is where you were. I know who you are. And in that, immediately, there's faith and there's trust. And Nathaniel said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And this is a huge, huge, huge thing. Because we see in this trust and in this moment, even though he doesn't know what's coming, he's going to acknowledge who Jesus is and that something special is going on here. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Is that why you believe? You will see greater things than this. And so even in that statement, while Jesus sees the trust, he says, just wait. Wait for what's coming. Amazing things are going to happen, and you're not even going to be able to believe. And that is meant to be an encouragement. Keep that faith. Keep that faith, Nathaniel and Philip, because there's going to be times when you're going to need it when stuff gets rough. And that's what I love about these texts, these little moments in these verses, where you see things that build later, where you see Jesus trusting and loving and sharing. And you see the disciples, even in the little bit we get, the glimpses, we see bits of their humanity, of their trust, but also of their failures. But in it, we see why Jesus called those he calls, even when they're not perfect. 
And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so Jesus is like, you won't even be able to believe it. You're going to see these things, so keep that faith. All right, I want to share a little bit more about what we know about these disciples. Because I think it will help us to get a glimpse of how we can see ourselves in this text. So we fast forward a little bit to John chapter 6. And we see Jesus looking up and seeing a large crowd gathering. And look who we see again here. Philip. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now if you remember the story, Jesus is getting quite the following. All the disciples now are living their best lives, watching all of these people come around, watching their teacher become someone who's admired and revered, watching these amazing miracles happen. Now, though, the reality of what's happened is crashing in. They have way too many people, thousands of people here, to gather, and there's not enough food. And they need to feed these people. And so Jesus goes to Philip. For some reason, Philip has some skills in this area, right? We see that he must have been the one who helped with this sort of thing, with the management of whatever was needed for the group. And in this case, it falls to the larger group. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And this is where you get Jesus, and you see, you're like, oh, yeah, Jesus knows what he's doing. So Jesus knows what he's going to do to feed these 5,000, and you do too, but Philip doesn't yet. Philip says, well, we need 200 denarii's worth of bread, and that wouldn't be enough for each of them to get a little. So basically, he's like, we need more money than is even possible, and even that, we could barely feed these people. And so Jesus, in this, wants Philip and the others to see that sometimes, even when you can't see your way out of a situation, even when up to this point you feel equipped, but now in the moment you don't, that you already have what you need to get through. You know, Jesus wasn't doing this to mess with Philip. He wasn't doing it to be mean. He wasn't doing it to be like, ha-ha, I know what I'm going to do, but let's see if Philip fails. What he was doing is getting Philip to realize you feel like this is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. And remember, Philip, you said, I'm God. So in this, Jesus is going to show Philip, Nathaniel, and everyone else what they already know, but they're having trouble seeing. And so when we see these stories of the feeding of the 5,000, where a little boy shares his lunch and it feeds 5,000 people and there's much left over, we remember that part. That's amazing. That's the story. But even in the leading up to the story, there's just as big of a thing. Because Jesus is teaching us the same thing. Maybe to this point you felt equipped and you feel like you're trusting Jesus. 
You feel like everything's going the right way, and then you hit something where you're like, I don't know what to do next. That's okay, because Jesus does. Maybe you feel like you're in that last group of disciples, and you're the furthest away from Jesus you can be, but you're still there. And maybe you just need to look and go, no, but Jesus called me too. Maybe it's okay that somebody else is a little closer, seemingly, to the work of what Jesus has called. And maybe it's okay that you're in the middle somewhere. Or maybe you're feeling the weight of being in a position where you're just doing too much. And you're in that front group of disciples, and you feel overwhelmed and burdened. But you all, we all fit into the story. And the story isn't a surprise. The story is Jesus invited all of you to follow him. And you're not a surprise to Jesus. He knows what you are and what you aren't capable of. And he called you in spite of that and because of that. And I hope that we remember that in the weeks and months ahead. And my prayer for each and every one of us is to leave here today and just to say, Jesus, remind me where I am. Remind me what I called you to do and help me to see what that is for now. And if you've forgotten that, put yourself back in the beginning of the story where Jesus saw you, he called you, and he equipped you. In Jesus' name.